Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, people of all ages, we proudly bring to you at a Studio 212 out of the heart of Seattle, Washington. This is Physical Culture Radio. I'm your host, Greg Jones, at Coach Greg Jones Instagram and Facebook, along with my co-host, Chris Edmonds, lead mountain dog diet trainer and gym owner himself. Chris, how are you doing today? Doing very well, man. It's rainy here, but I'm doing really well. Awesome. It's actually dry in Seattle and it's been dry all up and down the West Coast. And it's usually not dry this time of year up here. And there's been a lot of fires down in the, uh, California, Northern and Southern California. A bunch of people died actually. But, uh, you know, that's kind of part of what nature does to us. And we <laughs> kind of have to take that in stride along with whatever we have to take in stride in life. Um, today's topic is the actually Greg Jones interview. So uh, Chris is going to interview me today. Going to give you a little bit about our backgrounds, uh, both Chris's and mine in these interviews. And Chris, go ahead and start with your battery of questions, buddy. For sure. Um, I think this will be great for the just the show in general. So if you guys know one of us or both of us or neither, uh, it'll be a great idea to kind of get some insight of who we are, where we came from, and what led us to uh, doing this thing together. So I, yep. If you'll just kind of give me a back, like a brief background, um, I, I'd love to hear, like, you know, obviously where you're born and raised, what your childhood was like, sports, athletics, all that kind of stuff would be great. Yep. So I was actually born not too far from where this studio is on in a place called Queen Anne, Washington, which is in downtown Seattle. Um, Queen Anne is uh, isn't where my fi- family grew up. And, uh, I was born there. I moved all around. Um, but I was, I've basically been born and raised in Seattle, Washington. I moved to the Midwest for a few years when I was from first to third grade. But, um, to begin with living in Seattle, it's a very liberal place. It's very ethnically diverse. So I grew up with a lot of different kids in the city, um, kind of a, in a multicultural setting. I went to private schools in grade school, but in athletics, I played in the inner city leagues. And I grew up, um, actually my first sport was swimming, but then, uh, you know, after, gosh, eight years old, I kind of kind of zeroed in on, like I think a lot of kids did in my generation as I'm in my 40s now, is in the in the fall we play football in the winter we play basketball in the spring we played baseball in the in this in the summers we'd run around on our bmx's and we'd have the summers off we might do a summer camp but um it was ingrained in me early to hard work to practice hard i've had a lot of great coaches and some of the best coaches i've ever had have been into my formative years when i was really young uh playing football and, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers are my favorite team. Is This when the years of Terry Bradshaw, Franco Harris, and the Steelers were winning their championships. I was, you know, this was like back in the late 70s, early 80s when I was kind of growing up into athletics. Um, didn't get into uh, bodybuilding until much later. Um, is That was kind of more like the 80s and more of like high school, end of high school um, kind of training. What was the home dynamic like for you? So my, my parents are very liberal, uh, card-carrying Democrats, um, not super strict. Their parenting style was not super strict, although they did try to create boundaries. So boundaries were set, um, but not heavily disciplined. You know, when I was in high school, we used to run around 
and go to keggers party <laughs> play play sports drink beer um we were kind of the crazy kids in high school right. uh right. My, my you know we were the jocks that partied um and and this was this was good it, it was a different time uh so i remember when i was in grade school we would bike to and from school when the weather was nice I remember living in Missouri when I was in first and second grade. My parents wouldn't get off work till like five o'clock, but I'd get out mm-hmm. of school, you know, probably like two thirty, three p.m. And I was like seven years old, coming home by myself. Oh wow! Um, yeah, so kind of a different time. And my brother would kind of look in on me, but he'd be doing his thing. He was seven years older than me. I'd be doing mine. That's when I was into swimming, actually, when I lived in Missouri, um, first and second grade. I tried soccer. Soccer was a no-go. Um, <laughs> then when I was eight years old, uh, I started playing football. And uh, cool. like I mentioned before, I got into really hard workouts. We were very, we were pushed hard. We were disciplined hard. Coaches would grab us by the face mask, tell us not to be smart asses. When we would do something wrong, um, if we were smart asses back to the coaches, we'd get we'd get the foot in our ass and we'd be told to run a lap. So, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and how they told us to play football is keep our heads up, hit people as hard as we fucking could, and uh, to try to knock the other person down or out or, you know, and it, it was cutthroat. Like these coaches, they made us write goals. Uh, on a piece of paper the night before the game and, and take this piece of paper and put it underneath our pillow. And so you would say, I'm going to have 10 tackles. I'm going to have five unassisted tackles. I'm going to have one fumble cause. I'm going to, I'm going to recover a fumble. I'm going to help the team. I'm not going to miss any blocks. I'm going to give 110%, not a hundred percent. The effort that we had to give was 110%. And we were one of the only teams in Seattle, uh, that was undermanned. We had like 16 kids and Mm -hmm. we would go play down in South Seattle. And we were the only team in the North that could mess with the South schools. And we actually ended up winning a couple, uh, city and state titles against these teams that had like 40 and 50 kids. And we had like 16 kids. And so we were, we were a rough, bunch of Irish and Italian kids. And we kind of, we were raised by our peers. So after school, we would, we wouldn't go home. Um, we would get on our BMX bikes and we would run around the neighborhood, you know, just doing dumb shit. Um, and you know, get in fights. Uh, when you got in a disagreement with someone, you guys, you beat each other up. We would beat each other up in school (laughs) and we would get, you know, disciplined and, and go to detention. If you get in multiple fights, you get suspended for a day or two. And all, I grew up with a bunch of buddies. We all beat each other up. We would get competitive in recess, competitive playing basketball, competitive, competitive playing Nerf football. <laughs> and we get pissed off at each other and we'd start swinging and the teachers would kick us out of class or, you know, right. we do it in recess and somebody get caught. And, um, nowadays you get in a fight, you get kicked out of school. Like you can't even attend the school anymore. And I have a problem with that because I think kids are learning how to exert themselves emotionally in athletics. And I think kids learn how to control their emotions or the lack thereof 
by getting frustrated and getting in fights. And I don't think that's necessarily always a bad thing. Um, although in today's society, uh, any physical alterations are considered bad. Uh, we shun our kids from doing it. The, uh, you know, the principals and, uh, school boards shun people from doing it. But anyways, I'm kind of getting on my soapbox about, you know, off the topic of myself and that, but so later on, you know, playing football, basketball, and baseball, I, I stopped playing baseball. I got more into football and that's what led me into lifting weights, strength training, and kind of bodybuilding and doing bodybuilding routines in, in my mid to late teens. So started to see some strength gains, started to see some muscle gains, got real strong from the ages of 14 to 15, lifting weights, didn't have a ton of tutelage, didn't have strength coaches, didn't have trainers. We just had coaches that gave us workouts. They would download workouts from University of Oklahoma and Nebraska and University of Washington. They'd give us these printouts and say, okay, you're doing power cleans, you know, four times five reps, and you're doing a bunch of these auxiliary exercises, three times 10, you're doing cable flies or, you know, chest flies, and you're doing, you're starting off with bench press, and then you're doing incline, then you're going over the squat rack and squat until you drop. So that, that was, that was my start in, in workouts. And I was figuring out the form myself. Um, I've been my own guinea pig as far as with working out and teaching myself. And then later on in college, um, I got an Olympic lift. I got on an Olympic lifting team. I started powerlifting, and um, I became a certified personal trainer when I was 23. Um, so after community college, uh, first of all, I had a I've had injuries as long as um, I can remember. Injured myself, uh, sophomore year, uh, dislocated my ankle. My day before my first game, my senior year in football, I uh, dislocated my knee and strained my MCL and missed most of my senior year, which kind of blew my recruiting. Is I was starting O-line, D-line, playing a little bit of linebacker um, my senior year at a private Catholic high school here in Seattle, Washington, called Blanchette. And um, being out uh, most of my senior year, um, I kind of fell into partying a little bit, you know, not taking my rehab so seriously, kind of running around, going to keggers. And to be quite honest, you know, I kind of lost my way of my workouts and how strict my workouts had been from my sophomore year. So because I'd gotten injured and just kind of had a case of the fuckets. Um, but then I, I got, I, I got back serious, um, I actually went to go play tennis at a local <laughs> right. community college and got recruited by a tennis coach who also coached football at Walla Walla Community College. This was a top 10 in the nation football program in the 80s and 90s. And so in the early 90s, I got a partial scholarship. They they got uh, paid for my books and tuition um, and got Pell Grants, state need grants. They, they kind of set you up with all this stuff to be able to play football and get part of it paid for. And, um, yeah. And they recruited me to play linebacker. Actually, I started off as safety. Cool. Um, and then I switched to linebacker, uh, when I realized that I wasn't as fast as I needed to be, um, partially probably because the knee injury my senior year, 
partially because I'd never played defensive back in high school. And I wasn't as, yeah, I wasn't as fast. My first, my first couple of years, I was like four, eight, and then I got oh, to right. four, seven. Yeah, I didn't get into the four sixes and around four or fives until my junior and senior year in college. So I got faster as I got stronger, as I got bigger, I got faster in college. Um, to the, to the extent of, I realize now that my max physical performance was probably between the ages of 24 and 27 was when I was my fastest. I had 37 inch vertical leap. Um, and that was from just, a, a you know, a one step into the vertical jump. I ran a four or five flat on the track. I was benching mid fours. I squatted 600 for a double was deadlifting 600 power cleaning 340. I'd put 320 Jesus. over my head, uh, clean and jerk. So I was really freaking strong in my, yeah, mid to late twenties. And then, um, yeah, after I got done playing football, I had some offers to play in Europe and Canada. Um, Hamilton Tiger Cats made an offer on me for 26 grand, to go play, uh, I had a team in Wolfsburg, Germany, made an offer on me to go play European pro ball where you are a uh, player and you also kind of help coach. Um, the deal was in Wolfsburg, Germany, it was they give you $1,000 a week. Oh, wow. They give you an apartment to live in and a brand new Volkswagen to drive. And you go over there for 10 to 12 weeks and play football and drink beers and chase girls, I guess, is what the deal was. Um, but I had a girlfriend at the time, and I thought I'd have a chance in the NFL. <laughs> uh, my dream was to play in the NFL. And I didn't. I, I turned down the deal in Germany, which was my spring quarter of my senior year in college. Uh, after my junior year, I got named to a national, national all-star game mm-hmm. for my senior year. So after my senior year, I actually went and played in an all-star game. And then I got... After that is when I got my deal in um, Hamilton Tiger Cats made the offer on me. And at that point to play football for 26 grand a year, um, I decided, and I had an agent at the time and they said, you know, you can make more money doing whatever. Um, I, I decided to hang up my cleats. My, the, the, the dream of playing the NFL right. was over. Uh, no NFL teams were uh, courting me to come into any combines or get any private workouts with them. And coming from a small college and being a little bit undersized and not being a six foot linebacker, um, even though I had the strength and the speed and uh, of uh, NFL linebacker and top combine numbers for those, um, I, I, you know, I just didn't get a chance to go in uh, any kind of a combine. So. That's when I kind of got into bodybuilding and I actually met, uh, Mark Doug. So I was, I came back to Seattle. Uh, oh. I started working out at a gold's gym and training. Um, you know, I was working as a personal trainer. That's when I first met Mark Dugdale in the mid nineties. He was an amateur, started working out with him a little bit. We, we, uh, became friends. Then I moved down to San Diego, um, and wasn't working out. I was still working out, but I kind of got into a fast lifestyle for a few years in the late nineties, to be honest, didn't get back into bodybuilding until 2003, 2004. And I actually linked back up with, um, Mark Dugdale again, helped him get ready for, uh, the USA's 
in 2003 and then into 2004. And then I was actually down in Las Vegas um, summer of 2004 when he won the overall and got his pro card. And he walked as a light heavyweight. He walked away with the fucking thing. He was big, dry, shredded. And I got I got into bodybuilding right. then, but I was still kind of teetering in and out of uh, a fast fast lifestyle. I opened my own business too. So I started getting, got into Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I got into martial arts. When I was done playing college football, I, I, I was missing that physical element. I was missing competitive element. And that drew me into Brazilian jiu-jitsu. From Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I always kind of would work out and do, you know, functional strength stuff. And this was in my early thirties. So, you know, 2004, I was 34 at the time. Um, and, uh, I was still strong as a fucking ox and working out with Doug Dale. And, but I was kind of half into bodybuilding, half out, you know, being (laughs) that I was into jujitsu, being that I was working out. Um, but I was, you know, what it was like training with him, the guy had unparalleled um, motivation. Uh, he had the strongest legs, some of the strongest legs, and some of the best pair of wheels I'd seen. Um, and 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 uh, he, you know, of course, after we'd worked out for a short stint, he went and had kids you know, kind of shacked down with Christina, um, his wife, they ended up having three daughters, I think in the late two thousands or maybe the first one was born a year or two after that. So I kind of lost touch with him at the time. And, um, it wasn't back in, it wasn't till after the next decade, 2011, 2012, I got back into bodybuilding again. At this point, um, I wasn't working out with him. I started, I helped my buddy open a couple fitness evolution gyms in 2012, hopped back on stage, won the heavyweight, uh, natural Vancouver, um, natural show, um, as a heavyweight. And, um, and then I competed in 2013, uh, again, and I did the Armour cup. Didn't do so hot. I think I placed top 10, um, as a light heavyweight, but that was not a drug tested show and I didn't do as well. I didn't come in all jacked up off whatever I needed to be jacked up on, um, to compete at the higher levels. And I did okay. And then I got back into functional training. So I opened my, another gym, bought out a jujitsu gym and opened monkey bar, monkey bar gym East side in Redmond, Washington. Um, And then I started getting, so people, bikini girls, physique guys would ask me to get them ready for shows because they knew I had a background in bodybuilding. They knew I'd worked out with Dugdale. Um, So I actually did a physique show in 2015 because these two bikini girls, I was training these two bikini girls and they said, hey, you got to do the show with us. And I said, you know what? I still have a good amount of musculature, Um, although I had just been training jujitsu and doing functional training. I said, all I got to do is train a little bit of extra arms and, you know, put on some fucking board shorts and get back up on stage. So, so I did that. Um, I placed third, um, <laughs> and the girls and both the girls ended up not even competing in that show, uh, which was the funny thing. But, um, I trained a guy who won the show and then he won the Washington state 
overall in physique in 2015. And then I, that's when I actually linked up with, with back with Mark working out. So it was October of 2015 after my show, I did another show and didn't come in in great shape, did my own diet. That's when I went to Mark and said, Hey, Mark, uh, I know you're working with John Meadows. Uh, do you think you could give me his contact information? I want to get serious about this shit again. I'm tired. I don't want to compete in physique. Um, the bug, the bug is bit, you know, and I was working out with Doug Dale, 2015, 2016. Um, and I, so he hooked me up with John, uh, which actually hooked me up with you. And the cool thing about, uh, so, you know, th- some takeaways from, you know, Mark Dugdown training with him. And I, I, you know, aside from the training and what his, how his training differed from when he be- was an amateur and got his pro card to when he won his first pro show. So he got his pro card in 2004. We were working out together celebrated his win at the USA's winning the overall in his class. Then we were working out together, helped him get ready for, uh, the Arctic pro in June of 2016, which was actually his first pro win. So I, 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 and I went to that show with him. So it was, what was really cool for me as a training partner was to be able to go to the guy's amateur win turning pro and then being there for his first pro win as he'd placed second place like 10 times top five, like 20 times or some crazy amount of top fives and top two and 2007, he placed second in the Ironman probably should have won that show. I felt that was his best kind of musculature, um, at the time, but anyway, uh, yeah. You know, what's, fun, what's funny to me about that is before I ever met you, like I remember being a yeah. young bodybuilder, getting into this whole world, leading yeah. into my first national yeah. show. I watched that DVD of his Driven every day. Um, and, it, it, you know, it's really funny. That's how like, life kind of comes for full circle is I remember when he went yeah. and won that Arctic Ed, Pro. Ed Koo was there. Met you, Ed, John Ed met Koo you and him also. up there, right? John Meadows. Yeah, and our Yeah, uh, yeah, and I I remember John texted me that that day and was like, "What in the hell do you are you doing with Greg? Because yeah. he looks crazy right yeah. now." And I'm like, "He's just following the plan, man." <laughs> John looks great. John looks great. Uh, John placed top um, five in that show, but, by yeah, the way, too. So you know, they were both. So the reason I but Mark I think, walked away with the show. Nobody even touched him. Um, yeah, he okay. was so yeah. fucking peeled. Right. right. So, so that's what I want to. One of the things I want to talk to you about about Mark was what's really cool to me is when guys at a young age, when I mean, I don't mean like chronological, but in terms of their bodybuilding world, young, um, you got to see what pro level conditioning looked like and what pro level size looked like. Like, talk to talk so, to the people like what um, that's like at that show. When you get to see that on a day in day Sean out basis. Sean Clarita was there. Um. Oh God, there was a number of top pros that are now, you know, and it was the 212 division. Um, what I found is everybody comes in cut. Every come everybody comes in, it's just different levels of dryness and striations and graininess. And it's it's so cool to see a pro show because 
when you see a top five, when you're down there in person looking at these people, um, it's hard to tell a fucking big difference if you don't know exactly what you're looking for. And I've actually been a judge at a few shows. I got asked to be become an NPC judge by the local um, NPC Northwest board. And I was actually working for ZipFizz, um, who sponsored a couple shows and, and got to judge Physique and Bikini in 2011 and 2012. I got to be a judge where they take one of the judges off the panel and then you step in and, and, and judge, um, because I'd had the background in bodybuilding. And, and so I had a little bit of background. I knew the criteria. I knew what you were looking for, but the level between, you know, a top amateur show and then these pros coming in, it's, uh, and one of the things that I've, I've tried to model after Mark Dugdale and, um, is conditioning. So, Mark has never been the biggest guy on stage, uh, and I'm never going to be the biggest guy on stage either. But one of the things that you can control, you can control your conditioning. You can control your body fat. You can control how fucking disciplined you stay with your diet and how peeled you come in by listening to your coaches, being smart with your training, eating what they tell you to eat. When they tell you to have a refeed, you have a refeed. When they tell you to cut your carbs, you cut your carbs, no matter how fucking hungry you are. These are the things that Mark taught me how to suffer. And I'd ask him, I'd say, I'd say, well, about how many weeks out? Because Mark does his own diet too. So John does his training, but but Mark does his diet. And I'd say, well, where are your carbs at? Like, you know, six weeks before a show or a month before a show, you know, several weeks. And he'd say, to be honest, he'd, he'd say, pretty much the only carbs that I have right now are, are my plasma drink. He goes, I wake up in the morning, I'll have a little bit of protein, I'll go to the gym, I'll have my plasma, and he would have uh, two to three scoops. Um, and uh, and then he'd just eat you know, protein and vegetables the rest of the day, basically go keto and just get peeled as fuck to the point where his rectus femoris would be feathered. He'd had cross striations in his rectus and glutes were peeled, lower back was peeled, <laughs> right. shoulders, everything, like, right. you know, <clears throat> you know, feathered quads. And, um, when he would be in a relaxed pose, it'd be one thing, but when he would crunch down on ab thigh, it's game over and everything just pop, everything just pops. And when you're looking at him and looking at across right. the top five, even a, even like guys like Sean Clarita and John Meadows, and John Meadows comes in grainy as fuck, but he doesn't, those guys don't have that dry, peeled, feathered look that, that Mark would get. And so I, what I said to myself is for my next couple shows, my goal is Mark Dugdale conditioning. And I, I think I remember telling you at the time, you know, I know I'm not going to be the biggest fucking dude out there, but I want his right. conditioning because I don't think too many people are going to beat me if I'm that peeled. And I was right. right. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, that's your game. Um, I mean, you you aren't going no. to get on stage and win because you look like Sean Roden or Flex Wheeler. Like, but right. you have the ability I mean, right. your glutes are strided at 12 weeks out. Um, 
to a certain certain degree. Like how and the fuck, when you and I yeah. started working together, that's one of the things that jumped off the page of me is right. at eight weeks out, you're you're in better condition than most people get on stage. And then as I push you harder, 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 like your body just gets nasty, um, which is super cool. Like from a coaching perspective. Um, because I, I know the only thing right. you and I have to play and, around with is level of leanness and dryness versus fullness. I don't right. doubt in my mind. I look at, if you're I've off, at my you're still going to be shows, on compared to most people. And I look at my, I look at some of my pictures and my check-ins like three weeks out, two weeks out. And I think I look better than I do in my contest shots. I, I definitely look fuller and bigger and veinier I'm not quite, and obviously the, there's the dryness is right. going to be there because you're taking pictures and you're not cutting water or anything like that. But I'm so much fuller at two to three weeks out. And now that, you know, it's funny when you get with a coach, it takes a few shows to kind of figure out what you look like, how you need to look, where your fullness needs to be, where your conditioning needs to be, what are the trouble spots. Everybody has trouble spots or maybe somebody is big and full and they can't quite get peeled. Maybe their muscles are a little bit overly watery. Maybe they can, maybe you can get super grainy and, and shredded and get super dry. I think everybody differs with that. And the younger bodybuilders are usually a little bit wetter and have that, you know, softer skin. Um, and then as you get older, we get thinner skin and, I feel like it showcases the muscles off a little bit better, that old man skin, um, as opposed to, but what, 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 what you lack is your joints aren't as good. You can't go as heavy. So you're not quite as full because, and, and I've won, you know, a bunch of shows in the midst of being injured. So three surgeries in three years, I just had my latest this summer, which why I didn't compete in 2018. In 2017, um, I was recovering from two surgeries, one in April of 2016, one in December of 2016 on my for a torn tricep and a torn scaphalunate ligament in my left wrist. And then now I just had a rotator cuff fixed this past summer. But I tell you what, I, I wouldn't have it any other way, and I like to push the fucking envelope. And although I don't squat and deadlift heavy anymore, I still want to push the envelope and go as heavy as I can in a safe manner um, and be able to get some more size. That, that The good thing that I've got going for me is I've been 240, 250 pounds in my past and, and had that size. Um, and I think I can get a, some of it back. I think I can get to 230, 240 and then cut up from there and get on stage in between 210 and 220 pounds is kind of our goal and kind of my goal as a bodybuilder to try and get my pro card um, next year. And you know, what, what I think is interesting is, you know, you touched on earlier about nailing that peak and why, you, you know, you feel like you looked better two to three weeks out. And if I'm being honest with you, and I think I've said this to you before, I think what hurt you the yeah. last time you could that was us trying to have yeah. to suck down to make weight to make physique weight, meaning, meaning classic physique. Um, and, and I think you're someone who your body, when it's yeah. exposed to high levels of stress, it starts to deteriorate really fast. Um, I don't know if you feel that from your end. That's what I see from your photos. So like, 
I think I've shared a couple photos of like yeah. you seven days out from that Washington State win we had together. Um, you look nutty as hell. Like if I could have gotten you on a North Americans Masters right. National stage with that look in open bodybuilding or Masters bodybuilding, I feel like you'd have had a great shot. Um, but I think you know we tried to play that game of we had to suck down. No, I didn't crazy yeah. hard, and then I never. I don't think you ever got that level of fullness back when you got on stage. Um, with with your waist being small and being able to like really suck it in. Um, and and that that combo is what so many guys struggle with. Is you know do I suck down and make weight, or do I just come in and look the best me possible? And I, I think you nailed that. Um, which yeah. is. When you when you won that Washington State to me, that was your best look leading into an event, and right. everything was timed perfectly. And I, I and, 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 and I you felt got rewarded like, for I that. Felt like because I remember being so, stuck uh, you know. at two hundred and three pounds, my body wouldn't budge. I think we were down to sixty carbs a day. I was stuck at two oh three, fasted weight first thing in the morning, yep. and I was doing, God, what was I doing? I wasn't doing two hours yet. I was doing sixty minutes cardio. I, I think you had. I think you had me doing an hour of cardio on top of my workouts. No, sixty no. grams of carbs a day, and my body was stuck. It would not go underneath two hundred three pounds. So we had to go to zero carbs in order to get down under two hundred. No. And then I had to drop water like crazy and basically not eat for almost an entire day in order to make weight. And I got so yep. depleted that. I, I never kind of recovered from that. No, I mean, even your even your check-ins weren't you could tell you were in such a brain fog and stress. Like yeah. I knew it was getting overwhelming. And all I could do is try to ease your ease your nerves and just kind of ride it out until we made weight. And then our goal was to just fill up as much as we could. Right. But in 2019, 2020, so my plans are I'd love to do Masters Nationals again, third week in July. Don't know if I'll be ready. I think late spring um, with you, and then I think I'll also talk to Mark and talk to some, you know, maybe have John weigh in and look and say, should I start a prep? Do I have what? Because I don't want to come in and be second round or third round of call outs. I want to be in the top five and I want to have a body that's presentable to win my pro card. So if that means competing at in September, if that means November, and then doing maybe uh, nationals or the North Americans later in the fall or uh, what have you, or maybe even waiting till 2020, I think I'm going to have to wait. And I think my, my urge to get back on stage, if I don't get in between 235 and 240 in the off season before we cut up and can can come in in between 210 and 220 shredded i don't think we start a prep and i don't i don't think you know i the judges gave me feedback they said look your conditioning's fine your posing's fine you need bigger arms and shoulders and you know you'll have a shot at at, at winning and i had two different yep. judges tell me that at, at nationals and so that's that i mean that's where we're at and you know having shoulder surgery this summer slowed me down, but it was the good, it was the best thing to do. Um, it's a smart thing to do. And anytime guys, if you have things wrong with your body, don't ignore them, get them looked at, get them fixed. Don't worry about the immediate 
competition that's in three months or four months. Look to a year down the road. This is a this is a big process, and it takes time to mature in this sport. I, and and even if you're in classic physique now, that that whole division has, you know, evolved already. It, it's evolved. I mean, these guys are coming in big and shredded, and uh, it's uh, it's it, it, it takes time. You have to take time. You have to get qualified coaches. Uh, like the guys at, at Mountain Dog Diet and 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 Chris, my coach here, and um, I coach people too. And so you know you have to have somebody that has that experience, and it, and it helps to have somebody who has experience themselves, um, not just in a coaching aspect, but has gone through the process themselves on stage. You know when 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 drug addicts go talk to and go to rehab centers, most of the people they're talking to have some kind of background with drug addiction themselves. Um, right. You don't, you don't, you don't talk to people that have never been through that shit themselves and they can help you get through it. Cause they don't fucking understand. And you don't understand how to get somebody truly in shape and what they're going through. If you haven't done that yourself, I feel, I mean, I know there's some coaches out there that don't compete or haven't competed in some, probably some good ones. Um, I don't know what, uh, um, Haney Rambod's background is. Was he a bodybuilder? I, you know, I don't know. I see. I, yeah, I don't know either, but, um, I, you know, you look at Shelby Starnes, you look at John Meadows, you look at Matt Porter, you look at, um, guys like us, you look at some other people that, you know, a lot of people have, have gone through this process, have suffered, have sacrificed, have dedicated themselves to get in the best shape possible. And they know how to help other people get in the best shape possible because they're familiar with what what you have to do. So yeah, I, I you know I'm along the same lines as you, and that's why you know when I when I looked to re, when I reached out to John to um, start doing training programs for me, I uh, that's one of the things that drew me to him was that he was in the trenches with me, um, right? Learning and growing and evolving, and to me, like I, I want I want to learn from someone who understands what it's like to have 500 pounds on their back or right. to be on 50 grams of carbs and two hours of cardio. Like I want them to understand it. I don't need them to sympathize for me because I want them to push me to the next level. Um, right. But I, I want them to know and have experience with what that feels like because in this world of bodybuilding, like in my mind, like there's no way in my opinion, um, I'm sure you could probably come up with some examples to contradict this, but I want them to have firsthand knowledge because that to me is what this is about. Like, yeah. And I know that there's some gray area there and you know, uh, you may not have, you could be all have all the knowledge in the world. Right. But if you have no experience, I'm just not going to learn very well from you. Um, right. And that could be a personal thing, but you know, I, when I'm, I always tell my clients personally that I never, I'm never going to ask them to do something that I haven't or I'm not willing to do personally. Right. Um, and and to me that forms a bond. You know when, when I used to have really shitty shoulders, like I feel like you and I can bond over that and say, listen, here here's our game plan. I've been in your shoes. Now let's fix these bad boys. <laughs> right. Right. And and, and, and there's know, some there's got to be some a sense of comfort from your end. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, 
I don't know if you've heard this before, but a lot of people talk about the best coaches in athletics. What makes the best coaches in athletics isn't necessarily the best players and the and the players that it came easiest to, the genetic freaks. Sometimes the best coaches out there are the ones that struggled a little bit as athletes and have right. had the hard path, have not had everything come easily to them like a Phil Heath. Not that Phil Heath doesn't work hard, but he's very genetically gifted. Or, you know, um, a Dorian or, a, you know, Ronnie Coleman. R- Ronnie Coleman probably wouldn't make that good of a bodybuilding coach um, no. because everything kind of came easy to him. Not that he didn't work out hard and train absolutely fucking insane because he did, but that doesn't necessarily or would it necessarily make him a good coach. A lot of the best football coaches out there, a lot of the best, you know, basketball coaches out there weren't the best players. They were marginal right. players. Um, yep. And their struggle has helped them understand the game a little bit better. Right. And our struggles as bodybuilders, I feel, has helped us be able to be better coaches and help people because shit, doesn't, shit hasn't come easy for you or I on stage. Ton right. of injuries, myself, working through things, working through genetic you know, although we don't have horrible genetics, we, we, we don't have the best genetics ever. Um, and, and you gotta, you gotta train smarter and, 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 uh, and work your ass off and be super disciplined in order to, you know, get results when, when your genetics aren't as good. Well, guys, thanks for listening to physical culture radio. Uh, stay tuned for our next episode where I will be interviewing Chris and his background. For Chris Edmonds, I'm Greg Jones, and thanks for listening, guys.